I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles tonight to the second chapter of the book of Acts. And as you do that, let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray your peace upon us as we gather tonight. We've already experienced such a sweet saturation of the presence of Christ during this time of worship with the various expressions of worship. And Lord, as we sang, you have and forever will have our hearts. And just now you have our attention as you speak to our hearts. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time just to share. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would direct and would always direct the affairs of this assembly. We're your people, simple, needful of you, submitted to your cause, your will, your plans. In Jesus' name, amen. Stuff that I'm going to share tonight, really from my heart, isn't new stuff. It's really a review. You already know these things. But you know, Peter did say, though you already know these things, I'm going to stir you up to remembrance of these things. Anyone that knows me for very long knows that I have a life verse out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For you see your calling, brethren. There's not many mighty, not many noble after the flesh that are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I've always been drawn to that verse. I've been drawn to it because it stopped me dead in my tracks when I realized that when God made a choice, a deliberate choice to find people to use, He looks for foolish things, weak things, And it goes on to tell us why. It goes on to say that no flesh could ever glory in His presence. So that when God uses people like us, others that see what God does goes, wow, it must be the Lord. It's got to be God. I know that guy. I know that gal. There's only one explanation. God. And don't you love that? Rather than pointing to a person or persons, the the result of this place, all of the fruit, all of the ministry over the years, has not been the result of one man or a group of men or women who have strategized and plotted. We've all looked back in amazement. We feel like we're on the sidelines watching God carry the ball all the way down and we're applauding Him doing the work. 25 years. Wow, it's hard to believe it's been that long. Um, Lenny and I came here by faith 25 years ago. We had stars in our eyes. I was just wondering, well, what, what does God want to do? We came here by faith and we began our married life here. We raised our son, raised our family, and 
had the privilege and still do of making connections with some of the most wonderful people on the face of the earth that has become our spiritual family. The last couple of years, the last few years of our lives have been years of growth, deep growth, really deep growth. And the net result of it all, we have to say, is God's still on the throne. He knows what he's doing. And I didn't want to cut you off. Sorry. We have seen the Lord move through us, but more importantly, we have seen, and here's the most precious part, we have watched, experienced the Lord move in us, work deep inside of us. That's always the best part. Because whenever God works in you deeply, it's so that he might work through you. We had an opportunity, and it was a wonderful opportunity, of serving a church in Southern California for two and a half years that asked us to come. They admitted they lacked an emphasis of Bible teaching. They lacked an emphasis on evangelism. And we took the invitation and came to bring a refocus to build up a staff, and it was a sheer privilege to do so. Also had the privilege of serving my pastor for two and a half years. In fact, it was Chuck Smith's phone calls, several of them, that really got us thinking to go out to Southern California a few years back. And i got to tell you, I don't know if I can describe the privilege of standing in the pulpit of the man who taught me the Bible and gave me a love for the Bible. And to sit, uh, stand there and watch Pastor Chuck and his wife Kay be able to sit together hand in hand and to listen to the word, and it was such a weird feeling that I am teaching while he's listening to me teach. But it was a sheer privilege. And it was such a privilege to be close to my mother, who's now 87 years young, and still mows her own lawn, at least she tries to. It was a joy to be able to go up there and do housework, spend time with her, spend fellowship with her. And honestly, in making the decision to go out there, it was never our intention to go out for a six months or a year or two or three and then to return. We, we felt that those three reasons that we left were the three reasons that our hands would be to the plow and we would govern our future by those three guiding lights. However, I remember somebody teaching a Bible study and what he said made such an impression on me that I memorized a little saying. He said, God speaks to us through the regularity with which he disappoints our plans. God speaks to us through the regularity with which he disappoints our plans. I had plans. God had different plans. When, well, I'll back up. Paul understood 
how that works. He didn't know why it works, but he, he did know that it did work this way. I'll give you an example. Paul set out on a missionary journey. It was number two for him. He made plans. And God showed him, Paul, I'm glad you made plans. Those just aren't my plans. And so the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 16 that Paul was making his way across Asia Minor. He tried to go to Galatia. He went through Phrygia. And it says the Holy Spirit forbade Paul to preach the word in Asia. That's where he was going. Those were his plans. Holy Spirit said no. That puzzled Paul because he made plans. Then the Bible tells us in the following verse, he went into Mysia, tried to go to Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit would not permit him. Now he's really puzzled. He has come from the west. He has tried to go in a couple different directions, or has come from the east, tried to go in a couple different directions. The door closed. So he's sitting there one night in Troas thinking, now what? And once again, God speaks to us through the regularity with which he disappoints our plans. That night in Troas, he got a vision. It was a man from Macedonia. And he could see it just as plain as he was standing in front of them. And the man said, come over to Macedonia and help us. And I love the Bible has such a unique way for the obvious. It says, then Paul concluded it was the Lord's will for him to go to Macedonia. <laughs> Every other door was shut, slammed in his face. And he gets a vision from God and he turns to his buddies. You know, I think God wants us to go there. So, once again, God said, my ways are not your ways. They're above your finding out. And sometimes we scratch our heads and we wonder. But, when I felt the Lord stirring in our hearts to be back here, and by the way, I want you to know this, from the bottom of our hearts. We're not here because we feel like we have to be here. We, from the bottom of our hearts, want to be here. We love it here. We love you. It's so refreshing and it has been that way. So we want to make that clear. But I went to all three groups because I felt I needed to get the blessing. I went to Ocean Hills Board and I said, gentlemen, I'll be honest with you. I sense the Lord calling us back, but I need to hear that you're releasing us. Do I have your blessing? And each board member said, yes, we see the Lord's hand in it. So I went to Pastor Chuck. I said, Chuck, I'm here in part because you kept calling me to come out here. And now I feel the Lord has called us back. You know the circumstances. Do I have your blessing? Yes, I believe. Uh, anyway, he gave us his blessing. I said, thank you. I feel odd about mocking my pastor. Though I've been mocked by this group many times. And then I went to my mother. And by the way, so many of you, you've asked about her. and Thank you for asking about her. I said, Mom, I need to hear that I have your blessing. I sense the Lord calling us back. And she laughed. She said, you don't have to ask my permission. You belong there. I think it's right. 
So it was just a confirmation all the way around. But God speaks to us through the regularity with which he changes our plans. And we found that so often what we would call disappointment is his appointment. It's all under his control, all under his purview. Now, I did have you turn to Acts chapter 2, and I haven't read anything from it yet. So I want to do that. It's familiar stuff. In verse 40, with many other words, he, Peter, testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone has need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There you have, especially in the 42nd verse, a succinct little nugget that would form the purpose statement of the early church in Jerusalem. This is their, what we would call, vision statement. This is who they were. They gave themselves steadfastly to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. That's what they did. And what did God do? God added daily to the church those who were being saved. I'll never forget when we asked John MacArthur to speak here a couple times that he did in the past. And when he was here one of the last times John spoke on a Wednesday night, we were talking about his church, our church, the growth. And he said, you know, Skip, the first 10 years of any church are the most exciting because everybody has a common purpose and a common vision and there's an excitement and an anticipation and people are willing to sacrifice. And I thought, well, that's an interesting statement, the first 10 years. So, let's pretend like we're starting all over from scratch. And the next 10 years will become for us the first 10 years. Because I already sense an air of excitement and anticipation that God has done great things, but He wants to do even greater things still. Several years ago, we decided to take what we saw in the Bible and form a vision statement, a purpose statement for this fellowship. And we took this section of Scripture and we boiled it all down to three words. You know them by now. They're on the back of your bulletin every week. Upreach, which I know it's not really a word. If you write it on the computer, the little red squigglies come at the bottom trying to correct it. It's really not a word. It's one we invented. 
upreaches vertical relationship. Everything else comes and flows from the relationship we have with God on a personal level. Everything else really is empty without a sense of God's presence, a connection with Him via worship, via communion, and then everything spills out from upreach. Second, we came up with the word inreach, and that's not a word either. But it is now. Inreach is where the body reaches out to the body. And each person, well, Paul said it so well in Ephesians 4, the edifying of itself in love. That is, through the different gifts, talents, all pooled together, there's a building up, one member and another member, and the body builds itself up in love. Then third is outreach. We've reached up to God because He's reached down to us. We reach into the church, the body, the family, strengthening, encouraging, building. And then with that strength, with those relationships, and with that vertical relationship, we now have a testimony to reach out. And the third is outreach. And that is a word, a legitimate word. So upreach, inreach, and outreach. And there's a balance with all of them. It's not like one is more important than another and we emphasize one over the other. We should be always thinking about a beautiful balance. For instance, if any church is heavy on instruction in the Bible without application of the Bible, it becomes very cold, formal, academic. It's really not a body. It's a mouth. But it's not a body functioning. Or if a church focuses on exhortation without the power of the Holy Spirit to enact change and to work in our lives, you'll have a bunch of frustrated Christians always hearing, do this, do that, witness more, love more, get involved more. But without the power of the Holy Spirit to enact that change, you just have a bunch of frustrated people. They want to know how to do it. Or, if you emphasize the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, expressions of the Holy Spirit, freedom of the Holy Spirit, but you don't base that upon the foundation of the Word, well, you could have just about anything. You could have sort of a spiritual nightclub. It could be all about, rather than feeding sheep, entertaining goats. It could just be experience and hoopla without any solid, meaty foundation. Or, if you emphasize Bible teaching, power of the Holy Spirit, exhortation, but you have no evangelism. I love what Arthur Pink said. A church that does not evangelize will eventually fossilize. And part of the lifeblood of any group of believers is new growth. It's infectious to see commitments made to Christ and young believers vibrantly growing in our midst. So there's a balance. The early church in Jerusalem kept that balance for a good period of time. And that has formed our mission statement, our purpose statement, our vision, upreach, inreach, and outreach. Now, I have a few minutes left. And again, what we're going to do is kind of go through this. We want to close a little bit early, give you time to get your children... Don't forget that. 
We don't want you just to go out in the courtyard and go, great, I have 15 minutes of bliss more without my kids to listen to this music. No, we want to make this a family night where you get your children and we can all go out and enjoy that kind of fellowship and worship. But um, the first in, in uh, our purpose statement is upreach. Your relationship to God has to be your relationship with God. It can't be my relationship with God through you. It has to be your own personal connection with God. And when there is worship with the worship band and Bible study, all of that constitutes what it says in verse 47, praising God and having favor with the people. Praising God, that's that upreach. Sometimes, folks, we do make a false division, a false dichotomy between the Word of God and worship. I mean, we, we won't say it necessarily consciously, but we'll let it slip out. We'll say, well, this amount of time we've carved out for worship, and then after that we'll have the Word. But studying the Word is part of our worship. We're listening attentively as the Holy Spirit of God is speaking through His Word to His people, which then prompts us to worship Him more intelligently, more effectively, more creatively. So it's part and parcel. Worship and the Word. I want you to listen to a a statement made by William uh, Walt Kaiser. He said this, It's no secret that Christ's church is not at all in good health in many places of the world. She has been languishing because she's been fed junk food, all kinds of artificial preservatives, all sorts of unnatural substitutes have been served up to her. So upreach for us is as we gather together publicly to hear the word and make expressions of worship through music, that's part of it, But there's a lifestyle created, a lifestyle of worship. Now, there's some awesome worship bands in this fellowship. We just heard one of them. We heard two of them tonight, but uh, Todd and his group and Donovan. And there are several great worshipers. We call them worship leaders. Maybe we should call them lead worshipers because they're not just leading us in worshiping. They are worshiping themselves. Our heart is to see these worship bands, these worship community, write their own expressions of worship as they have, produce CDs with those songs as they have, get them circulated not only through our body but through the country as an expression of what God is doing here through Upreach. We'd also love to see a a school where we can teach worship to those who want to be worship leaders. We've trained pastors up We thought, wouldn't it be great to train worshipers and worship leaders to go with them as they go plant churches? Upreach and training the church in doing it. Now, part of that, and it's found in this section of the book of Acts, is in verse 42, the last little section, and in prayers. Can I just simply from my heart encourage you to get into some kind of a group that regularly prays without an agenda. All you're going to do is get together. Well, where are you meeting? We just want to pray. 
We're just going to pour out our hearts before God and be united in prayer. A church only marches forward on its knees. Jesse, you'll remember this. When we first started, we had a Thursday night Bible study and we didn't know what to do next. And people asked us, well, now what are you going to do? And so I quickly answered, we're going to pray. And so I announced that night a Monday night prayer meeting in somebody's apartment just to ask God without an agenda, what next? What what do we do now? Because we didn't know what to do next. And then there was the men's prayer meeting. And now, Thursdays at 12 noon, starting tomorrow, I believe. Is that right? Is Thursdays at 12 noon prayer in the prayer room? I'm getting tentative nods. Okay, yes. Thank you. The prayer room is in the back. If you're around the area, if you can take your lunch and you'd like to meet from 12 to 1, sack lunch it in the prayer room, we'd love to have you. Then, upreach. Excuse me, that's the first one. I already covered that. Then there's inreach, where the body shares gifts one with another. The head of the body is not Skip. The head of the body is not the board of directors. The head of the body is not the pastoral staff. The head of the body is Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says, right? He's the head of the church. Now, if he's the head of the church, he's the master, he's the brain. Then the Holy Spirit is sort of like the nervous system, which takes what the brain says and conveys the will of the brain to the different parts of the body, saying, you do this, you do that, you move here, you move there. When everything works together and every part is involved, there's nothing more awesome than a beautifully organized body. But I had a friend who contracted a disease early in life and it eventually took his life. It was multiple sclerosis. You know what I'm talking about. I see a lot of nods. Multiple sclerosis is where the spinal cord and the the brain, the cerebral cortex, gets hardened. It's sclerosed. It gets hard so that in these patches of hardened areas all over the cerebral cortex and the spinal cord, the, the connections don't go through. Those electrical impulses, the synapses, Don't make the connections so that instead of smooth body movements, it's very jerky body movements and eventual paralysis and death. A church can also go through that. That's why the Bible is so strong on all of the members ministering one to another. You know what? You saw it on the screen. 280 events... You know, that that looks like the itinerary of Los Angeles International Airport. It's busy around here. And there are hundreds of wonderful ministries that break up in smaller groups and minister one to another. So that no matter how large the assembly is on the weekend, you can feel vitally connected, minister to on a personal, individual basis, and you will have the opportunity to share your gift, your voice, your expression. And we encourage you to do that. There's home groups around the city. There's community groups of different kinds. There's mentoring groups. There's specialty training groups. And all the way from 
foundations class of 13 weeks through step-by-step learning biblical self-confrontation and uh, being fully equipped as a believer all the way to the school of ministry. It's exciting. And I've had the privilege of seeing the exciting results over the years of people who have gone through these classes. They've been raised up in ministry. We thank God for so many who decided to stay and not go plant churches, but invest their gifts here back into this fellowship. Some are on staff, some are in lay capacities. Others have started churches around the country in different parts of the world. But it's been this beautiful expression of people weaving their lives with each other, edifying together in love. We read it, so I won't go back to it to read, but you know as we worked our way through this passage, it says they met together in the temple and from house to house. In the temple and from house to house. Now the temple, if you remember from Sunday's message, was a 36-acre complex. It had a large court of the Gentiles that could house thousands of people. And early Christians, from even the time of Jesus and later in the book of Acts, would meet in large groups in an area known as Solomon's Porch. By the way, that's where we got the name for the cafe. It was, it was a public meeting area where people would gather for fellowship and Bible studies by rabbis. But then... House to house. They met in smaller groups. They made vital connections. Because it says they all had koinonia, fellowship with each other. And you might be asking, well, I've come to this church now for a few years. How can you have intimate connection, koinonia, fellowship with such a large group? Really easy. Really easy. Just get involved in one of those smaller groups Even if you get involved in the women's ministry, they'll break you up in smaller groups so that you will have the beautiful blend of large group and small group interaction. And there's a growth that happens. It's wonderful. And then there's outreach. We can read that, that Peter preached a sermon here and thousands of people came to faith in Christ. It says in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker on the back of some cars, I'd rather be fishing? That's true about you. I don't mean literally. You are such great fishers of men. In fact, we'll do altar calls on Sunday so often, we see people come to Christ every week. And you know why it is? It's because of you. You're inviting friends. You're inviting relatives. You're the ones making the initial contact. There's this personal evangelism that takes place. It's so exciting. It's so wonderful to work with you. All I do is throw the net out. And fish get in it. But you're the ones that have done the work. So we're all a team here. And it's pretty neat to see how it all works together. Outreach is letting the world know our testimony, and inviting them to have a relationship with the same God that we do. And there's all sorts of ways that can happen. There's event evangelism. The skate park may have an evangelistic event. We might have a concert. We might have an Easter event. Uh, There's all sorts of ways that happens in crusade and events. There could be uh, radio outreaches. In fact, we have with us our radio crew that's here tonight, our 
DJs. Just stand up, you guys. Say hi to everybody. That's part of the outreach. M88, KNKT, using those airwaves, using their influence in a positive way to get the gospel out. But media evangelism, event evangelism, is always accompanied by personal evangelism. So relationships we build in the community and we invite people to take part in some of the events or some of the church activities where the net is thrown out. So we're all working together in that. There's cross-cultural evangelism. Oh, and by the way, if you say, you know, I've never really been good at personal evangelism, there's a four-week class starting at 10 o'clock on Saturdays that will teach you how to personally share your faith with people. It'll be like a greenhouse effect. You'll grow leaps and bounds in that area. Some people have chosen to go outside their borders into cross-cultural evangelism. And uh, I was just with one of our brothers tonight for dinner before the service, Carlos down in uh, Juarez, Mexico, who has for years opened up his uh, facilities to groups that go down every month and have seen so many people come to Christ through just that cross-cultural evangelism. So there's numbers of layers that that can take place. Um, besides radio and media uh, evangelism. We have a bookstore. I know you know all this stuff, but Josh and the guys in the bookstore do such a good job at getting materials that will help your upreach, inreach, and outreach. Great way to get equipped is read good stuff or listen to good stuff and be equipped with it. There's so many things, I won't be able to go through them all, but if you go to the internet and it's Sam and Nate those guys, they do such a great job at uh, something they put up for the last few years called Net Calvary that gets you connected. You, you could, if you got a computer, go on and kind of see where you fit in and explore what gifts you have and say, I'm going to try that. Or I'm going to try this group. And you put your email address in there. You send off an application. You try that group. You try that ministry. See if it fits. If it doesn't, then you learned what doesn't work for you. You try something else until you find that you do fit. But it says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, a man who has friends is himself friendly. So if you just reach out and try it, you'll find, wow, this is a great way to be and stay connected. There's a number of other ways. I just want to share a couple of visionary things that are coming up. We're starting this next year another level of the School of Ministry. We've had the School of Ministry for a number of years, but we want to kick back into a shepherd school where we want to train young men for the pastoral ministry, give them language, teaching tools, sermon preparation, kind of take them through the grind of a year and hopefully send them out to plant churches. Now, we've talked about a lot of different dreams and visions. We thought, wouldn't it be great to have a four-year school, a four-year accredited school? And then, you know, then we, our minds start going, well, wouldn't it be great to have this? And then pretty soon we could have... Who knows? But we're asking the Lord for His vision, His direction. And we're excited about that possibility of the shepherd school. Another thing, and this is where 
anybody here who wants to, I believe, can at least attempt to get involved, if not definitely get involved, and that is we want to train up hundreds of chaplains. I work with the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team. I've been at a couple conferences at the Cove, and a few people here from the church who've been on Hurricane Katrina relief and other disasters have also been. And so we thought, wouldn't it be great if we could train up men and women in counseling, grief counseling, critical incident stress management, some of the things that are needed in a crisis, and so well equip them that we have two, three hundred chaplains here in this fellowship. When a disaster strikes, we can deploy different times, different levels over the period of time that disaster takes place all over the country. So that's something we're working on. We have our first uh, big meeting for that and training session coming up in December, and uh, we'll be giving you more information on that. So pretty exciting. But the brain of it all, the head of it all, is Christ. If your brain, which is a magnificent machine, 10 billion nerve cells in your brain, we don't use them all, but they're there. All of us have them. But they tell us, they tell us we don't use them all. We, we, we use a very limited capacity. However, what you have going up there is those 10 billion neurons are able to see, hear, feel, control all of the different stimulations, move hundreds of muscles and ligaments. Uh, your body is regulated with the sweat glands to the brain, two million of them. Uh, all of that intricately working together, and the brain is controlling it all. If your brain can control your body so well, then Jesus Christ, the head of his church, can so coordinate this body that it can function beautifully, smoothly, powerfully in upreach, in reach, and outreach to the community. On September 10th, Sunday, after the services out here in the courtyard and in the park, there's going to be all the core ministries set up with their booths. You could get information on any or all of them as you visit those booths, and you'll be able to find out the different activities that you could plug into. So, The vision needs to be his vision. I know people will often ask, well, what's your vision? What is your vision? And usually that's a word that means, what are your plans? What are your ideas? And the best answer is, well, it's really not about my vision or our vision as much as what is his vision for us, for this future. I'm in it for the long haul. I'm in this ride all the way through with you, and we advance on our knees. Let's pray together right now. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for a flock that is so committed to worship, worship you passionately, to learn how to worship you spiritually. I thank you for a flock that loves to be equipped, loves to get inspiration and information, but I love it that there is that application. So many are involved in so many hundreds of ways. It's humbling, Lord, 
truly is a body that is functioning beautifully, admirably. As we do all of those things, Lord, I pray that you'd also break our hearts for a lost world and embolden us and equip us to tell those who don't know you about you so that they too can get in on the party and enjoy your salvation. So Lord, we're yours. We place ourselves before you as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable, which is our reasonable service. And we pray, Father, that all of us in harmony and in unity would march forward with your vision. In Jesus' name.